0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Start at verse 1. Please stand as we read the text for this morning. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on the one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. to the point of death, even the death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those on earth and under the earth." And that, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you all uh, who came. It's just a little uh, little family get-together, isn't it? Right at Christmas. Um, just so you know, those uh, gifts uh, that you got from the church as you came in um, are designed for you when, uh, when the New Year's comes and you and you make a New Year's resolution to do better at your personal devotions or do better at your family devotions, when that happens, uh, this is supposed to be a help to you. There's a, there's a directory in there uh, that will help you pray through uh, the members of the church. There are, uh, there's a reading list in the back of the directory that will help you read through the Bible in a year. Uh, there's even, uh, because we're Presbyterians, uh, there's even uh, reading through Calvin's Institutes, Uh, which is pretty cool. Um, There's a a song book in there um, that you can use to sing, uh, whether you're alone or with your family. Um, There are notes, notepads in there for you if you want to take notes during sermons or create a prayer journal or whatever it is. We even have uh, little notes for younger kids, uh, teens, as well to help guide them through a message. Um, Those are all just useful things for you uh, as you make your New Year's resolutions coming up soon. <laughs> okay, well, enough of that. Speaking of Christmas, um, I was thinking about what I, sh- what I should talk about today with you, uh, thinking about what we need, uh, into the, uh, thinking about our context today, uh, with everything going on politically, everything going on medically, all the different things, uh, the history of our church. There's things that uh, are on my mind uh, as to what we need to hear today. And then I keep remembering it is Christmas. (laughs) We gotta talk about Christmas. Um, So I think today's message is going to try and wrap those two things up together in a nice bow if I can use the analogy. But there is something special about Christmas, isn't there? Uh, When you're really little, Uh, It's about the presents. But it's really not just about the presents. Uh, Kids, you know, aren't able to do the psychology yet, but it's not just that they're getting something that they want. It's not just that they're looking forward to opening presents. Because you know this as an adult now, as you look back on the Christmases you had as a kid. Uh, Those of you that are older, uh, in this section, uh, that are... No longer kids, uh, but you're not like old like me. Um, You know, Christmas doesn't mean what it used to, right? I mean, you used to like, you couldn't get to sleep at night. And the first thing when you wake up at 5.30 in the morning, you're like, it's time. And you run downstairs, uh, if you had two stories, uh, and um, you get by the Christmas tree and it's all lit up. It's still kind of dark outside. The heat's on and it's all warm, and you see those gifts, especially that one in the corner that you know is gonna be the one that has the thing that you really want, and you're super excited. Mom and dad aren't up yet because they don't understand how exciting it is, so you gotta help them get up. And, uh, and they start making breakfast, and the whole place smells like bacon, and there's nothing better than that, right? I mean, it's just Christmas, man. And you remember those feelings, Some of those feelings are um, part of what it means to be created in the image of God. What do I mean by that? Part of what makes you feel that way on a a Christmas morning isn't just that you're getting something. There's a safety, a security. Mom and dad are in charge of all the worries of life. But you have nothing to worry about except what you're going to get. You're not concerned about how you're gonna pay for the heat that is now rushing through your entire house. That doesn't cross your mind. That, it is warm, is all that matters. you You don't think about the fact that your parents probably went from a little debt to unacceptable debt in order for you to get those presents. You're just thinking presents, right? All the details of the world doesn't matter because you have been put in a place of pure security. And peace. You're not worried, you're at rest. You don't have to worry about all the problems at school or the kids that aren't nice to you or anything like that or having to go through the boredom of yet another class. All that is set aside. You're at rest, you're at peace, you're excited. What do we call that? I think. We call it joy, right? I've, I've puzzled over this for a long time because uh, I think about things too much that probably don't even matter, but um, one of the things I've always thought about is what on earth is joy? I mean, we, you kind of think you know what it is. It's when you feel, some, you, know, you feel what I just described, but it's certainly not just a feeling. Maybe the feeling is a result of being in a place of joy, but it's certainly... I mean, the Bible never speaks of trying to conjure a feeling inside yourself. But the Bible speaks of joy. In fact, in our passage today, it speaks of joy. Um, So it is a biblical word, and it means something more than just a feeling. I think there is something about it that conjures those feelings that we remember about Christmas. But it has to be something more than that. I think what we're going to learn today is this joy is not just, um, it's not a kind of peace or rest that is fake, that is perceived but not really there. It is a peace and a rest that conjures within us excitement because it is real. And it comes from our Father, who takes care of all the worries and the problems. I want, you, we, I want us to start with verse 1. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go through it, because this does have something to do with Christmas. Uh, the Christmas story is in this, uh, in this passage. I want us to look at it in a, maybe in a different way. Um, look at verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, what's he doing here? He's not saying, well, there might be. He's saying there really is. It's it's Paul's way of demonstrating that because there is Encouragement in Christ. Because there is consolation of love. Because there is fellowship in the spirit. And affection and compassion. Because we have all this available to us through our Lord. He says this. Make my joy complete. Make my joy complete. Paul is asking the church of Philippi, to make his joy complete because, and they're able to do this because all these things are available. I want you to think about what's available. These things are available to us. Encouragement in Christ, love, the ultimate comfort. One thing we miss um, oftentimes when we talk about the sacrifice of Christ is we forget the entire motivation behind it from John 3.16. The Father loved, so he sent. This love, of course for us, is the ultimate comfort. Fellowship is possible only in the Spirit. We try to fake fellowship as best we can in the world. We fake fellowship as, un- as unbelievers in the world. But when we become part of the body of Christ, we understand true fellowship because we can have it through the Spirit. And that is how we are able to have affection for each other, And compassion for each other all these things are available to us and let me put it even more specifically as a church as a church these are available to us through our Lord and because they are Paul says make my joy complete make my joy complete how He even tells you how. says in verse 2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul was a pastor, and he cared for the churches. And he says, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, please do this, this would make my joy complete. If you as a church would take all those things that God makes available to us, to love each other through the power of his spirit, and show affection and compassion for each other, make my joy complete. And you can do this, he says, by being of the same mind. That means having the same views. This means doctrine and deep doctrine. The kind of doctrine that goes right down to being able to do the hard things. The kind of doctrine that helps you understand what is the true, important, Foundational systems of thought that the Lord wants us to have embedded in our mind, and those things that are not as important as those things, and knowing the difference so that we know how to love each other. Let me give you an example. Foundational beliefs. How does God feel, or not feel, what does God say about homosexuality? He says it's an abomination. Why? Because it defies the image of God. It defies his commandment before there is ever sin on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. It defies every single part of God's program that he has designed for his creatures foundational. Mask-wearing. Differences about baptism. Is baptism important? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Is it as foundational? Can you have fellowship with brothers that might dunk? that That might want a testimony before the baptism, of course you can. I hope you believe that. If you don't, um, you've moved from Christianity to occultism. Why do I bring that up? I bring it up because this is where the depths of having the same mind comes. It is hard work to get to the depths of doctrine, to understand the difference between what is foundational and where there is grace allowed. Make my joy complete. How? Same mind, same love, united in the spirit of one purpose is our system here at Trinity Presbyterian Church all designed to go towards one purpose. What is the purpose of Trinity Presbyterian Church, do we all share the same purpose? Do we understand that glorifying God through obeying him and keeping his commandments is the focus of our church? I only ask that because there's a lot of churches starting nowadays based on some kind of reaction to the government, some kind of reaction to the context of what's going on in our country and health and those kinds of things. And that's their purpose. What is our purpose? Have we focused on our purpose so much that when we look around our church, we're seeing fellow soldiers that are pushing forward towards that purpose? When I was in the, uh, when I was in the Army, we had to learn certain skills about attacking the enemy. Um, what you'll learn uh, if you were to join the military and start doing exercises and things like that is uh, very few missions are designed to just attack the enemy. Uh, in fact, most missions are designed to do something else to defeat the enemy, something that will cripple the enemy, but you need to fight on the way there. Typically, you uh, find um, a, uh, something that they need, uh, maybe a place where they build stuff, uh, maybe a place where they're uh, developing weapons, maybe a place where they, uh, their soldiers are being trained. Whatever it is, that's what you want to blow up. That's what you want to destroy. On your way there, you're going to come across people to fight. And you have to be ready for that. Let me tell you what does not win a war. Finding people that are gathered together that are your enemy and then just start fighting them. Because they're there. You have, no, you have no plan to do anything beyond just, hey, there's a big group. Let's go, guys. Why do I say that? Because there's churches being formed today, churches that are getting really big today because they see something that they want to fight and they just go fight it. But they don't have a purpose that drives them beyond the fighting. That seems kind of boring and mundane, but the fight, that's exciting. Hey, everybody, let's go. These guys are telling us we can't do this. Let's do it together, and let's get a whole church about it. Yeah, and what happens when that fight's over? Tactics. What we forget is on this side of glory, we're at war. And we have one purpose that we drive toward, and on the way to that purpose, we're going to to have to fight the world, by the way, Uh, not us. We're not supposed to fight each other. And there is something quite unifying when, as a soldier, you're going out to your sole purpose to get that work done, and the person next to you that may not have been your best friend, in fact, kind of annoys you a little bit, and is kind of has a few things about them that you, know, you probably wouldn't be friends otherwise, but here you are on this mission, and it's got to get done, and you're so intent on that purpose, and the fear that comes in you because of what's coming at you, and that person that was kind of annoying is now with you and fighting with you, and something comes over you, which is called gratitude, you become thankful for them. Something that doesn't often happen at peacetime. At peacetime, everyone's sitting around and you have to do something for someone else for them to be thankful for you. At wartime, you start fighting towards that purpose and they are at your side helping you and great thankfulness comes over you for that person. If there is no purpose, if that's not really on your radar, if you're not really thinking that's what we're all here for and you're under the delusion that we're at peace, then of course you're gonna be very ungrateful for the people next to you. You will be ungrateful for the captain at the front of the line that's giving the orders, that's trying to help us. United in spirit of one purpose. Look at verse 3. The reason why we're going down this kind of slow right now is because I want to get to the, the passage we just read. Uh, what you learn uh, as you start um, interpreting scripture is that Uh, different passages, different paragraphs that are in God's word has a main verse that is the point of the whole thing. And all the other verses point to it, are prepping you for that verse as you get close to it, then it tells you the point of the whole passage, and then the rest explain what that thing means up there that you just read. Does that make sense? And that's what happens here. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Let me read that one more time. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important Than yourselves. In verse 4, it explains that. It's telling you don't fake this. Don't merely go through the motions. Going through the motions would be helping people as long as it helps you. Right? I will help you as long as it makes me look right, as long as others are seeing it happen, as long as it kind of benefits me anyway. Uh, it says, no, don't fake it. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Don't help others in order to help yourselves merely. That's faking it. Doing it for real is this. Look out for the interests of others. It's explaining how it is that you are to regard one another as more important than yourself. Pretty easy. Verse 5. So that you can understand what this really means to regard others as more important than yourselves. I mean, what does this mean? Do I just hold the door open for someone that looks like their hands are full? I mean, I'm kind of in a hurry. So maybe holding the door would be nice. Uh, there's a person over there. No one ever talks to that guy. You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go talk to that guy. No one ever talks to him. So now I will do it because I I'm so selfless, right? So we have these little games we play in our mind. And it says, no, this is what I mean when I say humble yourself. Have a humble mind so that you can serve others. This is what I have in mind. Christmas. Christmas, right? What does he say? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... Although he existed in the form of God. You understand what he's saying here? Although he already was the God. Right? He was the almighty, all-powerful creator. God. That's who he was. It says this, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? Although he was the almighty creator, okay, although he was God himself, he did not need to use that title or didn't feel that title was something he was going to use to make sure everyone was paying attention to him. Instead, what did he do? It says, look at verse 7. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. What does it mean that he emptied himself? Well, there's a a bad hymn out there that kind of messes this up, but there is a way we're supposed to look at this. What does it mean? What does it mean when you are God himself? Um, There is no emptying of God, per se, but there is addition, and that's exactly what this verse says. He emptied himself by addition. He added something to himself. And what did he add? He he added mankind. He added flesh. He emptied himself, taking on, right? Taking the form of a bondservant. Not taking on flesh as someone who is going to be king of some other, you know, some well-known person or uh, state, but of a servant. Now, let me explain something that we don't always get. Let's go back to Christmas. Um, I have a four-year-old and a five-year-old. And let me tell you something, they're excited about Christmas. They're excited about the gifts that they're gonna get that's under the tree. Yes, we have a tree. <laughs> and they're super excited. And they're gonna open those presents and they're gonna be, their eyes are gonna be really big and they're gonna be super excited but they have no idea what kind of sacrifice goes into that they have no idea and here's another thing they don't care <laughs> if you were to tell them now now Jude before you open this i want you to understand all right mommy and daddy had to work very very hard and had to go without certain things so that you could have this you'd be like oh, okay give it to me <laughs> right they don't get it Right? Let me give you another example. Uh, when I was in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, everyone know Toledo, Ohio? Everyone familiar with Toledo, Ohio? Toledo, Ohio is one of those places. It's not quite like Detroit where are like, ooh, that's pretty bad. And it's not, definitely not California. we are like, oh, isn't that nice? It's, uh, it's mm, Toledo. I mean, you're not, you're, not, you're not kind of picturing the sun being out, are you? You're just kind of like, it's probably drab. There's probably some warehouses over there, uh, some people living in one-bedroom houses with no roof. I mean, I don't know what you're imagining. That's what I'm imagining. Uh, so Toledo, it's not, the, it's not a pretty place. It's not where people go, if I can put it that way. They're not, they're not having a housing short shortage by any means. Um, but um, while we were there, we knew this man who was a very smart man, uh, he had a... He had a PhD and an MD. Uh, He was um, part of the coroner's office. Uh, He was actually on an episode of, uh, what was that? Uh, Those mysteries where you find out. um, It's like a documentary series, anyway. uh, Fascinating stuff. The guy's super smart, had an offer to Harvard, to teach at Harvard, but chose to teach in Toledo, Ohio, and, um, and put his roots down in Toledo, Ohio. Um, in his humble way, he says that you know, it's better to be a big fish in a little pond. So he went to Toledo. You, know, you don't want to be a little fish in a big pond like Harvard. But he had the mind that could have easily been a very big fish at Harvard. But he chose to come to Toledo. Now. Uh, when you're living in Toledo, that doesn't seem like a big deal because you're living there. You're like, oh, well, of course you'd come to Toledo. It's so nice. We have such a good zoo here, right? Um, there's not much there. They have a nice zoo. Um, but when you're living in Toledo, it doesn't seem like it's a big sacrifice to come to Toledo because you're there and it's, you know, you've learned how to cope. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Right? You don't realize the step down it is when someone is offered a, a position in an Ivy League school to do big-time research to be uh, known and and a name out there in the field that you are so interested in. But the people of Toledo probably don't see it as much. Does that make sense? We as humans have dealt with humanity. It's all we know. So when we hear that Jesus came in the form of flesh, in the form of humanity, we think, yeah, that's not that nice. I don't really think, it's okay. I mean, you know, we we we've dealt with it all this time, and you know, there, there's some bad things about it, but it's so nice, you know. Oh, it's so nice that Jesus came as a baby. Right? And we we get this we get this idea that it really wasn't that big of a of a of a move for God to become creature. For creator to take on creatureliness. For the infinite God who was fully happy, fully joyful within the Trinity. Not needing anything. Not lonely. Not needy. Not in need of imperfect worship for the rest of eternity. Not in need of us at all. Created. And could have just left us. Could have created, and when you die, you just disappear. And that would have been more grace than we ever could have imagined. But instead, the infinite God, who was fully glorified perfectly within the Trinitarian... um, I don't want to... Between the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost where all the joy was there, all the peace, all the rest, all of it was perfect. And he chose to create anyway. We have no, and this is, this is something you need to understand, we have no theological answer to why God created us. None. But he did. And even though we sinned, and sin became who we were, the infinite, almighty, perfect at peace, perfect at rest God took on our creaturely flesh. For you making his death possible and his resurrection for you possible why do we go into all that because that's what it means to put others before yourself it is not doing someone a favor by going and talking to them because they're so honored to talk to you it is going over to that other person and inserting yourself in their lives because God did that for you and there's no reason why he should have. You are so overwhelmed with gratitude towards your Lord that you love the people in your congregation. You put them before yourself. When there are issues that are not part of the theological foundation. We give each other a pass. Because we love each other that much. And he humbled himself, if we look at verse 8, by obedience. As being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And of course, this is speaking of the covenantal nature that is part of our redemption. The Father and the Son made a covenant together that the Son would obey, come to earth and die and that sacrifice pleased the father so that he raised the son from the dead which is the first fruits of your future resurrection and he did this he obeyed the father because he regarded others as more important that's hard to understand there's nothing more important than God's glory, and he did all these things for his glory, but I, I am, this is where my mind stops, and where Calvin tells us to put our hands over our mouths. He didn't need any of this. Even at the perfection of our glory towards God when the new heavens and the new earth are brought forth and we are in our new bodies and we are all glorifying God the way we were made to glorify him still is not even close to the amount of glory and celebration that the that the God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit can have for each other without us And because of Christ's obedience, he was exalted, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And all of this is to illustrate what it means for you, part of our congregation, to put others before yourselves. That's quite an analogy for you, for me, for us. And in that obedience, like I said, the Son was exalted. As we look at verse 9, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, and we go into every knee being bowed, every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord, for the glory of God the Father. Twelve So then, my beloved. Here he's making a comparison. The obedience led to exaltation. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence, but also in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Growing up uh, in a fundamentalist world, uh, there was a lot of Arminianism going on, but the one thing they held on to was once saved, always saved. Right? They held on to that, which was great. Um, but what does that really mean? Is once saved, always saved mean that once you speak the magical prayer, then you magically stay okay. <laughs> and then you just, you know, whatever happens, happens, man. You said the magical prayer and you really meant it at the time. No, that's not what Scripture speaks of, it's not what our confession talks about. Perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints. Not, not just this once saved, always saves magic that protects you, like you now have this uh, 007 uh, ticket that you can just do whatever you want, but rather, perseverance. You will persevere. Perseverance means you will work. And you will work out that salvation. Does that mean you can lose it? It would if that work stayed with us. But what does it say? It says in verse 12, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you. Your working is God's work in you. There is... The fact that you are working is because God's work is in you, if I can put it that way. In fact, if I can put it another way, those of you that might have fear in your heart when you think about your salvation, am I really saved? Um, A lot of people have that fear. Where does that fear come from? That's God's work in you. I am very encouraged when someone says, I'm afraid, whether I'm saved or not. Wonderful. I'm terrified of young people that don't care. It doesn't bother them. I don't know, I guess. Said my magic prayer. I'm okay. I meant it at the time. Fear and trembling, because this perseverance is real and God's work is real in the heart and if God's work is not there then the emotional moment you had at your little prayer doesn't make any it doesn't have any meaning without the work of the holy spirit in you and what is this work that he's talking about what is this work well there's lots of things this work is but one of the things in the context of this is right back to where we were at the top. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Are you able to obey that? Are you able to obey that? because that's the obedience it's talking about here. This is what Paul is talking about. This obedience and this work goes right back up to this. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. This whole passage keeps going back to that. And listen to this, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach where? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Does this describe our context today? Yes. We live in a crooked and perverse generation. A generation that uses all kinds of, um, has all kinds of conceits to gain control over the church. Uses all kinds of conceits to get to you. All kinds of uh, spiritual warfare is going on right now. That Satan might, might win you. But what does it say? And this is where it gets personal. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you can prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of god above reproach in the midst of a of a crooked of a crooked and perverse generation and this is why this is it this is what you're proving among whom you appear as lights to the world light in contrast to darkness in other words the love you have for each other that places someone else as more important to yourselves is in contrast to what's going on in this perverse generation. What is going on in our perverse generation? They are grumbling, they are disputing, they are fighting. We have fights And this isn't even between, in our political world, not even between Democrat and Republican. This is in the Republicans, in the Democrats. We're all eating ourselves, right, if you identify as one of those. The Democrats and the Republicans are all a bunch of cannibals, and they are hungry. And that's what we are seeing right now. Is that the way the Christian church is acting? Have we been these great lights to the world that we are not disputing amongst ourselves because we give each other passes when it comes to things that are not foundational theological issues? We don't care if someone comes to our church and wants to wear 15 masks or if someone in our church that we love very much asks us to wear are we showing ourselves as such unified, purpose-focused people, so intent on the glory of God and showing the glory of God by putting each other as more important than ourselves so much that when the world looks at us, they're like, whoa, I haven't seen that kind of unity before. That's weird. No, they're looking at us and go, yep. Look at them. They're all fighting. There's no real difference. Christianity has no difference. They're fighting too. The significance of verses 14 and 15 is that this unity of putting one person above yourself will make the church a light that contrasts to the world. Look at 16 through 18. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. I want you to imagine your pastor telling you this. I want you to imagine your pastor telling you this. I will share my joy with you. Share your joy with me. How? By showing me that you can love each other and hold the other person as more important than you are. Because your Christ has done that for you. You have to understand, Paul is just a man. Okay, we understand this. He's just a pastor. Okay, And according to Paul, he wasn't that good at it. As far as preaching goes anyway, he just wasn't very, he wasn't very interesting. Probably a little monotone. Wasn't very good. That's under inspiration. That's not one of those people that, that actually is a good speaker, but they're very modest or whatever. He, just, he literally was not good. <laughs> he would not have made the YouTube scene. He would, be, he would not be asked to come to G3 or whatever, the, uh, whatever these things are called. <laughs> I can't remember. The gospel coalition would not be interested in Paul. For one, he's a little abrasive. Doesn't know how to talk nice, right? And the things he has to say, he doesn't even say them well. He's just a man who is a pastor who, under inspiration, asks his congregation, share your joy with me. I will share your, my joy with with you. And this joy is when all of you start putting someone else in the congregation as more important than you are. When we think about Christmas and we think about the peace and the rest, that kind of combines itself to be this joy that we have. Sometimes it's just this joy that we have in our mind. We hear a Christmas tune and it reminds us of that feeling where everything was safe, everything was secure. There was rest, there was peace, there was joy. And those flinting moments that you have, that's the kind of joy that Paul is talking about. Not because you're getting a gift, not because you're sitting at home in the selfish way of what you want to get out out of this life, but because there is a congregation that loves each other so much that they put the other person as more important than themselves. If anyone does that, it's the leadership in your church who dedicates themselves to people, whether they get thanked for it or not. Usually not. Where there are ways that uh, this congregation has even blessed my family. That they don't even understand. The thank you note can't be written well enough to help them understand. Our congregation has been through a lot. We have moved from one denomination to another denomination for foundational theological reasons. That was tough. COVID hit. That was tough. Here's something I want to challenge you with, because I know that here we are, you're like, well, we, we, we managed through. We, we, you know, we're here. <laughs> and that is wonderful. You understand more is coming, right? Vaccinations. How are we going to re- respond to each other? The, the difficult decisions that are coming because of the kind of administration that is coming... Are you going to give your leadership a pass when, it, when we have to do something that might go against your American ideals? That you might feel a little constrained? For this, Would you do it for the sake of the people in your congregation? And here's a challenge that really I hope you're listening to me. Do you love your pastor enough to do it for his sake. To hold the unity, to be loyal, because you're putting others before yourself. The Lord has put me in several different uh, churches as we've traveled around. There's churches that have pastors who are, Quite controlling, if I can put it that way. Um, And loyalty means everything. There's like theological issues, the Bible, loyalty (laughs) to me. Then there's churches where loyalty just seems like um, a great compromise. I want us to consider as we enter a new year, as we enter into our Christmas celebration, I want us to think about what it means to put others before ourselves. Obviously not when it comes to theological issues, you are very blessed to be in a church that is very interested in the letter of the law when it comes to our theological foundations. But are there things you are willing to put up with? Are there people you are willing to love, even though they might not agree with you about vaccinations or about how, what kind of care they want or what they don't want, what they choose to wear, what they don't choose to wear? Can you love each other? And I think, even more importantly, can you love your leadership? who might have to make decisions that they might not even really enjoy, but do it for the peace and the love of other people? Are you able to support them because you love your leadership? My prayer for us, especially as we go, as we move along in our our growth as a church, in who we are as a church. That we become known as the church that stands firm on God's word. And because of that, there is a love in this church that everyone looks at and goes, wow, that is nothing about what, like what I see out there. In other words, our church should not resemble a Facebook page. It should look different. People should look at us and go, those people love each other. What's this about? What, bond, what binds them together? The love of the Lord that seeks out his will and pleasure which is specified in his word. And part of that obedience is putting each other as more important than ourselves. Has become such a part of our church that we become this light that people see. Not because of the compromise that we're trying to be for the world, but because of the lack of compromise. We don't want to be like that. Because we've been given our Lord, who is Almighty Creator, that came down and took on creatureness for you. And He did this for you. And there's no reason why you even should be here. And He still did it for you. Let's think about these things at Christmas. This Christmas, I hope that you are thankful for your family that will surround you at Christmas. I hope you will be grateful for your family that waits for you here on Sunday morning. I hope that you have the kind of joy I have for you, the kind of joy your pastor has for you, that you would give your joy to your leadership and each other